Good morning. Let me get set here. It is great to be with you all this morning. And uh, the last song, I appreciate you all uh, playing that song, How Great Is Our God. And it's kind of the theme I want to have in your hearts and your minds as we go through the talk today. Because the phrase, how great is our God, parallels with an Arabic phrase. Anybody guess what it is? How great is God? Allahu Akbar. Did you know that? Every time, every time we sing this song, we are singing, how great is who's God? Our God. If we're just singing it to the ceiling, how great is our God? How great is our No, we are shouting this phrase, singing this song with our spirits into the spiritual world, announcing it to all foreign gods, all idols, all things who would compare themselves to the most high one true God, whose name is Jesus. Right? So, in your hearts, I want you to say, repeat after me. How great, how great is our God? Is our God. So I'll say the how great part. You say is our God. How great? How great? Now, next time you see a riot taking place or something terrible on the internet, something terrible in the news, some bad thing happening in the world, and that phrase is used, you sing that in your heart into that situation. Clear? Today, I hope, is going to be a lot of equipping so you can know what to do when you encounter Muslim people, how to love them, how to be hospitable to them, how to befriend them, because so many Muslims in the world are hungry to know the truth, hungry to know the peace that can only be found in Christ. Now, before I get started, I want to introduce our family a little bit. Next slide shows the title, I believe. Next slide. We're going to talk about how to have a strong love in the midst of desperate fear. Okay, now, if you don't know me or my wife, Leslie, Leslie spoke here last year sometime and had a powerful talk about some topic that she was passionate about. And we actually had kids at the time and I was keeping the kids out somewhere. So, again, I want you to know our kids a little bit. Jolie is eight years old and she just finished spinal fusion surgery in March. So she's recovering nicely. If you've been praying for us, if you're on our mailing list, you might have read some about that. And uh, she's an awesome kid, loves to play the piano, loves to play soccer, and she can't play soccer until the fall right now because of the spinal surgery. In the middle, you see Eden, Eden Samuel, just finished baseball season. And then if I knew baseball season in Chattanooga meant 15 games in 30 days, I'm like, who knew that? Anyway, we just finished. He did a good job, and we may do it again when we recover. And on the right side is our new daughter, Phoebe, from China. We adopted her last year, and she's finished three surgeries in the past nine months or so with cleft lip and cleft palate. She's learning to speak again, learning to speak for the first time, and so we're beginning speech therapy with her. So if you want to pray for our family, you can pray for recovery of back surgeries and recovery from speech therapy, all these kind of things. So that's kind of who we are as a family. Now, Leslie and I started 1040 Connections about 16 years ago. We've lived in India for three years, lived in the Middle East for three years, lived in China. And so when Mark asked me to speak, this is actually the topic that I got my doctorate in, was how Islam corresponds with Christianity in regard to the Trinity. And I won't go into it because you may be bored with it, but I found it fascinating to find out how husbands and wives relating as a mutual relationship could bring a radical challenge to the hyper-patriarchy of Islam. Not just a slightly lesser form of patriarchy. Oh, my nice wife, I'm protecting her from everything. But no, arm in arm, side by side, shoulder to shoulder. Together, this 
mutual relationship of husband and wife reflects the Trinity. Mutually loving, honoring, serving, submitting, respecting to one another. And that simple relationship can have radical effects on the whole ummah, the whole radical side of Islam. All right, so as we look at today, I want to start with a few stories to let you know some good news. And we'll have a couple of stories here. One is when I spent a summer in the Philippines, I was in college, and I felt like the fruit was just falling off the tree. I would share the gospel with somebody, and they would accept Christ. I was actually having my devotion one day, and a guy tapped me on the shoulder. I'm like, I'm having my quiet time, having my quiet time. And the verse was Second uh, Corinthians. Today is the day of salvation, Second Corinthians 5. The guy kept tapping me on my shoulder. I'm like, I'm still reading this verse. Leave me alone. And finally he said, excuse me, I want to know how to receive Christ. I'm like, okay. Close the Bible, quit the quiet time, lead the guy to Christ. Back to the verse. So this, the fruit was falling off the trees. Like 100 people accepted Christ in about two months during my time in the Philippines. I thought, wow, I must be really good at this evangelism stuff. Good at explaining and, you know, whatever happy, prideful thing I might think in my own heart. And then I spent two years in the Middle East after that. Lived in, lived in Jordan, lived with a Muslim family, learned to speak some language there. Um, and in two years, I was able to lead four people to Christ. So two months, a hundred people. Two years, four people. And so I thought, mm, maybe it's not me. <laughs> maybe it's the soil. Maybe it's the culture. Maybe it's the surroundings and the, and the spiritual strongholds that are surrounding people at the time. Now, I'll tell you one, one, one quick thing. My parents came to visit. And they visited me for 11 days, and I took them on some touring kind of things through the Middle East. And when they left, something was weird in my heart. I thought, what's, what's this weird thing? And I realized I hadn't shared the gospel for 11 days. I counted it. I had not shared the gospel verbally with anybody for 11 days. And I thought, oh, man, this is terrible. I've I'd shared every day since, since I got there. It's very easy to talk to, the, to Muslims about Jesus. So I had my Bible. I sat on the bus as I was driving back to my town, read the Bible, laid it on my chest. And as I was asleep, I felt this weight come off my chest. I'm like, what is that? And I sat up and the guy next to me was sitting there reading my Bible. His name was Ahmed. And that began a relationship with Ahmed, who became one of the four people that I was able to lead to Christ during my time in the Middle East. Now, he and his wife were kicked out of their home and her family took her and fled to Syria to get her, get her away from him. And the whole family was disrupted because Jesus changed their life and it scared the family. Now that's not always the situation. Sometimes it's peaceful. And um, like I said, it's sometimes it's rare and sometimes there's conflict involved. And actually when people come to faith in Christ out of a Muslim background, it can be scary there's a lot of fear involved, and we'll talk about fear in just a moment. But after 10 years, after I lived in the Middle East, we were living in India. And I looked around the room one day at this training school we were at, Leslie and I were teaching at, and I realized I was in the midst of the most Muslim background believers that I'd ever seen at one place in my life. 54 of them. 54 MBBs were gathered in one room as Church planters. I heard the story of one young man who gave his testimony and he said, this is my younger brother in Christ, Imam such and such. And the Imam said, yes, I'm older in him in years, but I persecuted him when he came to Christ. Then he led me to Christ. So now he's my spiritual father. 
So we thought, wow, that's an amazing story. Two guys side by side, one persecuted the other, accepted Christ, and now they're both church planters in North India. So there is good news. There, is, there are stories of people who are accepting Christ happening all over the Muslim world. You don't hear about it in the news at all, but actually it's quite common. Now, uh, if you look on some of the news on May the 6th, there are actually 80 baptisms that happened in Germany of Afghani and Iranian Christians. Did you know that? People coming out, fleeing different situations, going to neutral places. And if I had a blanket, imagine a blanket covers people. Their eyes and their hearts and their ears are darkened and, and they can't even understand something until they leave. When they leave that area, the blanket comes off and suddenly they're exposed to new ideas and they can understand even better. And this is what's happening in many places in Europe. And so praise God for the 80 people that took baptism 16 days ago in Germany. Right. Can you all clap to Jesus for that? <laughs> I do want you to ha have the experience of seeing a Muslim accept Christ. And so we're going to show a video right here for 90 seconds to show. This is Dari language from Afghanistan. A Hazara believer has an Internet program. So watch this guy. Amen. So this is a, a man in Afghanistan who's praying on the Internet with my friend um, Hussein, uh, Harold, Harold Andrew. This guy was one of the first believers out of a Hazara background, who is a uh, minority people group in Afghanistan. They've, the Hazara have been persecuted by the Afghanis. So they fled to Pakistan, fled to India. He accepted Christ there, met his wife, who is of the first female believer he found from Hazara background who accepted Christ. They got married, moved to Maryland, and now he runs an internet program where every day the gospel goes out in that language, multiple languages, Urdu and Dari and a couple others, um, in, on the internet. And so people can call in and have a call-in show. And he, I said, can you send me a short one, 90 seconds? He said, oh, brother, I have so many. It's like 90 seconds. He said, having a 90-second testimony is kind of hard for Anybody put in the Middle East, they like to tell the long story. And so he said, I have one that's 90 seconds. Okay, send it to me. So that was this guy. Um, so a couple more good things. 
as you know, all Muslims are not terrorists and all Muslims are not radical. And in fact, some want peace. You know, uh, so here's two things you can check. Don't fact check me now, but do it later. Go to Christianity Today and you look up the Marrakesh Declaration. Marrakesh Declaration. Marrakesh is from Morocco. And in January of this year, 200 Muslim imams and leaders got together in Marrakesh and they issued a declaration, 750 words, that describes how they think extremist Islam is wrong. Praise God for that. Praise God. That needs to happen. The moderate Muslims need to stand up and do something. And so the Marrakesh Declaration happened in January. Secondly, the Jakarta Statement happened last week. 300 imams and religious leaders got together in Jakarta last week, Indonesia. And they represented Nadlatul Ulama. I believe this is how you say it. It's 30 million to 50 million Muslims, mostly in Indonesia. These are moderate, apparently. And they also issued a declaration statement to say that this is not the true way of Islam and this is not the way that we all believe. So at least there are some Muslims who are standing up and saying extremism is not the way it should go, which is good, which is good. So there's good news for people who are witnessing into the Muslim world. And there are also many good people in, from the Muslim background who are peace-loving. Now, when you share the gospel with them, most Muslims, I would say 90% of the Muslims, are in the peace-loving category, and you can share Jesus with them, share stories, and share um, biblical passages, and share verses, and share how you speak to God, and how he speaks to you, with 90% of all the Muslims in the world. And later on, if you go sign up our sheet out there, we'll send you a free ebook. And we'll send you the uh, five main questions that Muslims have. If you can answer those five questions, that's probably 95% of the questions that they'll be asking you. And so this little 40-page ebook helps you do that. So sign the list out there, and you can have that resource in your hand or in your email box. All right, so now as we look at the the situation for statistics in the world, did you know that there are 86% of all the Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists in the world that do not know a Christian. The 1040 Connections is named after the 1040 window, 10 to 40 degrees latitude. That area that stretches across North Africa, Middle East, India, China, that area has half the world's population, 95% of the world's unreached people groups. And 86% of the people who live in that area among Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists do not know a Christian. They don't even, they don't have any chance unless they tune into the internet and see my friend Harold, on the internet. But they don't know anybody personally. Even bigger number, two billion people in the world don't even know who Jesus is. Two billion. But that means there are five billion who do. And so if the five billion who do know Jesus just went there and told the two billion who don't know Jesus in a culturally appropriate way with a heart of love and mercy and humility, I believe there will be a massive harvest, a massive revival among the Muslims, the Hindus, and the Buddhists. So, why is this not happening? It's because there are so many needs. We have needs here, but they have needs there. And you know, here's, here's a phrase I want you to see in your mind and take this out with you today. Every need is an access point. Whenever there's trafficking, there's a need, and so you can bring the gospel into that. If there's illiteracy, bring the gospel into that. Meet the need. In the name of Jesus. Here's a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, right? Jesus didn't say anyone who gives a cup of cold water is blessed. He said anyone who gives a cup of cold water in my name 
And so we always merge the word and the deed of the gospel. So Muslims have many needs right now. Refugees all over the place in the world. Many are, will be coming to the United States are already here. And so needs abound. Um, so one of the main needs that Muslims have is the fact that they've never heard of Jesus. And if you see the next slide, you'll see that they're currently bowing their knees and their tongues are confessing not to Jesus. But what I want to do today is I would like us all to repeat this phrase, this verse together and know the truth of what the Bible says. And so let's repeat this together. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the truth. If you haven't memorized this verse, memorize it. This is the truth. This is the reality. This is the ultimate thing that will happen at the end of time. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Most people are not blank slates. They're not just, I believe in nothing at all and I don't know anything at all. Most people believe in something. They're afraid of the mountain god or the rice god or the, the sun god or the... 300 million gods of India or Allah in, in Islam or the atheistic. We don't believe in anything, but we believe in ourselves and our family and our country. So most people are not blank slates, but ultimately every knee will bow. So right now we can bow our knees on purpose with love and with compassion. But someday it will happen also for everybody. It's a promise. It's a good promise. Out of that truth, we can know how to relate to Islam because one of the strongholds that we see among them is the stronghold of fear. Now, the stronghold of fear is pervasive in Islam. It starts off with a fear of God himself. There's a fear of Allah. People don't have a love relationship with Allah. 99 names of, of God, not one of them is Love. It's compassion and merciful and uh, most high and holy, but it's not love. So instead, Muslims relate to God with a spirit of fear. There is a threat. He's totally separate and other. He did not come to the earth to love them and die for them. Not a concept. Not the concept they live with. Another aspect of fear is the fact that even in seeking to know about something besides Islam... Seekers can face fear. Now, um, we've had friends, we lived in Egypt. If their mom found a Bible, the mom would turn them in to the, to the uh, religious police. If their dad heard them quoting a Bible verse or singing a Bible song, they would get in trouble. And so even seeking answers is fearful. Now, I was, I was sharing the gospel with some guy in Jordan a few years back. And I said... So tell me, how do you know the Quran is true? He said, oh, oh, you cannot ask the question. Like, what do you mean you can't ask a question? I said, my God is big enough. He can, I can ask him any question. There's no question I can form in my little three-pound brain that's too big for my God. Right? But here's the logic. How do you know the Quran is true? Because Muhammad said it. Well, how do you know Muhammad's true? Because he's the prophet of God. But how do you know he's the prophet of God? Because the Quran says it. And you see the logical loop that you can never get out of. And so if you ask, how do you know Muhammad's the prophet? That's a question you can't ask. 
I know the Quran is true. You can't ask the question. So if seeking to ask the question implies there's an answer that breaks that circle. And therefore, there's an answer outside of Islam, which is scary and causes fear. If that makes sense. There's also a fear of Western influence. If the U.S. military is there or British military or some group is coming in, we're trying to influence them away from the 7th century model into the 21st century model. There's a fear of change and a fear of Western influence. Even the name Boko Haram, you know, Boko Haram from Nigeria, that means Western education is corrupt. Haram means corrupt and bad. And Boko, I guess, is the Western system of education. So Western influence is bad. It's evil. And so we should avoid it. Even in Iran, they say the West is the great Satan. And there's a lot of political things that go on with that. So layer upon layer are stacked in there. But ultimately, they want to avoid Western influence and only be influenced by 7th century Islamic teaching, which comes from the Quran. Next is a fear by Christians toward Muslims. Right? If if you see somebody getting on, your, on an airplane, they have a big beard and a kafaya and their wife is covered in a hijab burqa and just the eyes are showing and are you going to to sit up a little bit we were getting on a plane um last year sometime and leslie said here comes a couple i watch them and you watch them too (laughs) like they made it through security they're probably perfectly fine but there's a sense of alertness there's a fear that comes in there when you see somebody who looks different who speaks differently and so because of things that have been going on for the past many years, there's a fear that's often built into Christians. I'm not saying, I'm not giving the solution at this point, but the fear is there, okay? <coughs> Finally, in our small list of fear, there's a fear of terrorism. And in fact, that's what terrorism is. It's, it's playing on the emotions. It's playing on the threats. And so something happens and we build a, we build a, uh, an X-ray machine. Well, something happens outside the X-ray machine. So we build another X-ray machine outside that. And pretty soon we'll have X-ray machines all over the place. How do we live in a sense of awareness and with a sense of responsibility? Because we need to. Because the world's an evil fallen place. And people do even evil fallen things. How do we live in that situation without giving in to fear? How do we live with this elephant in the room the stronghold of fear, without giving into it. So here's what the Bible says. 2 Timothy 1.7. Let's that one. Let's go start with that one. 1 John 4.4. 4. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Let's all say this together. Ready? Go. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This is the promise that we have. Let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Jesus. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Okay? These are the foundational verses that need to sink into your spirit and inform your thought processes when you watch the news, when you talk to your children, when you stand up at the PTA meeting, when you go to the airport and go through security. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Amen? Next verse. Let's all say this together. First John 4.18. Ready? There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. 
So what drives out fear? What kind of love? Perfect love, right. So, Jesus could have been fearful. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's approaching his impending death. He says, let the cup pass from me. He knows what's coming. He's, he could be fearful. But instead, he demonstrated perfect love. He sacrificed himself. He said, not my will, but yours. He trusted his, himself in the hands of God. And he loved even those who were killing him. This is not possible naturally with our own minds and our own strength. That's why perfect love can only be from Jesus. We can, we can love our enemies, pray for those who per- persecute us, who despitefully use us, but only in the power of Christ. These verses we should memorize. Perfect love drives out fear. If you're speaking with the Muslim, love that person in the name of Jesus. And fear will be driven out. When fear is driven out, their eyes can be opened and their hearts can be changed. Next verse, please. Okay, let's read this together. 2 Timothy 1.7. Ready? Go. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Have you memorized this verse? You know this verse? If you have a spirit of fear, that did not come from God. If you have a spirit of fear, that did not come from God. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy, which causes fear. God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, strong doctrine, self-discipline, power, love, and solid thinking. That's what Jesus gives us. We do not have to be afraid. We can address the teachings of Islam <clears throat> with a heart of love, loving those people in Jesus' name with a perfected love that then opens their hearts and minds. Okay. Um, we're going to look at a passage from Luke chapter 24. And all the parallels are not there, but this is a passage I want you to go back and read later. It's the, on the road to Emmaus, right? Jesus is speaking to these two guys, one's named Cleopas, and it's the day he rose again. It's the Sunday that he rose. And these guys have left Jerusalem. They heard the women, didn't believe them. They heard Peter and some others, didn't believe them any, either way. And so these guys have left Jerusalem and are walking back to Emmaus on the road, about seven miles. Somewhere along the way, Jesus joins them. Now these guys have been through a lot. They've seen their hero killed. They are now disillusioned. They've lost hope. But uh, their minds are dull. Jesus speaks to, to them along the way. They know the prophets. They know Moses and all the prophets, but they haven't put it together. They've heard something like this is going to happen, but they don't understand. Their minds are dull. They're slow to believe. What they need is an encounter with Christ, the risen Christ, and they need to understand the truth about the life of Christ. Ultimately, they invite Jesus into their home. They share hospitality with him. They break bread together. Jesus prays. And then their eyes are opened. And they say, we're not our hearts burning inside of us? Okay. I want you to take that whole story and transplant that onto 
an encounter with a Muslim person today, 21st century in Chattanooga. They're obviously transplanted from where they came from. Maybe they're refugees, maybe they came for business, maybe they're students, but they've left their home. And as they watch the news, they're probably disillusioned. Is this what my belief system teaches? Ah, this person says this, this person says this, I don't have time for it. Or maybe they get really religious because of it. Some Muslims become hyper-religious just before they give it up. Some become atheist before they give it up. And some come straight from Islam directly to the truth of Christ. But every Muslim needs their eyes to be opened, their minds to not be dulled, and they need to have an encounter with the risen Christ. When they do, their hearts will be warmed, their eyes will be opened, and then they will go and share that with their friends, which is what Cleopas and the other guy did. They ran seven miles back to Jerusalem, 14 miles. It's a good hike. Uphill. Everything's uphill to Jerusalem. So they ran uphill seven miles back to Jerusalem and shared with the disciples, hey, guess what? Jesus appeared to us. And this is what your Muslim friends will do. Because such good news, when they come out of darkness, will inspire them to go and share it with their family and their friends. It's hard to keep the news secret. Many do, but there's a tension in that as well. Secret believers, there are many, many, many. But the tendency, which is good, is to go and share the good news with your family and friends. This is what Cleopas and his friend did. And this is what your Muslim friends will do too. Now, here's the thing. You are the hands and the feet of Christ. Your voice is the voice of Christ. Your bread, your cheeseburger, your french fries are the food that you present in Jesus' name. Your prayers are the voice of Christ. And when you have, share hospitality with your Muslim friends, they will see a representation of Christ. You will represent Christ again to them. Just like the, the guys in the road to Emmaus, Share the stories. They know the prophets. There's huge bridges in the gospel, huge bridges in the Old Testament to share the gospel with Muslims using the Bible. I don't usually get into the, the uh, camel method and using the Quran. We, we can do that for sure. But I prefer to tell the stories of Jesus because they don't know the stories of Jesus. Prodigal son, the sheep and the goats, good Samaritan the healings that Jesus did, the teachings, the Sermon on the Mount, so many teachings of Jesus, the Muslims would fall in love with Jesus. They would fall in love with him if you and I will present it to them. But as it stands right now, many of them have dulled ears and blinded eyes and no one to tell them. All right. Um, good news is there are actually quite a few Muslims on the road today. Actually, refugees, not a good situation. There are millions of refugees fleeing the Middle East into Europe. Many will make their way to the United States. When you see the next slide, you'll see some of the Syrian refugees who've come out. Many have made it to Turkey. I think 1.9 million have been to Turkey. Almost 700,000 is from last September. So over 700,000 are now in Jordan. Over a million in Lebanon. Hundreds of thousands of people are now on the move. They're disillusioned. They've lost hope. They've lost their families. They've lost their possessions. Many have lost loved ones. They're in a place where they're vulnerable. And as I said before, every need is an access point. 
You're not exploiting them in any kind of mean way. Instead, you're meeting their needs because they're broken in so many ways. And so we say that Jesus who is broken, Jesus who is whole became broken so that those of us who are broken could become whole. They're not just broken because they lost their house or they lost their mom or they lost their village. They're broken because they have sin in their hearts. The whole person is broken, and so the whole person needs Jesus. We look at the next slide. We'll see some of the stats of Syrians, refugees. 7.6 million are displaced. That means they're not in their home. They could be internally displaced, IDPs, or they could be outside the country. 1.9 million in Turkey, at least. I think it's over a quarter million who have died, and entire Christian populations have been wiped out from that area of the world. So the region is in turmoil. We need to pray for them. And especially we need to pray for the Christians. Now this symbol you might have seen on some of the slides. Anybody know what this letter is called in Arabic? Anybody? Anybody? That's a noon, which stands for the Nazarene. And ISIS would spray paint it on someone's house. And if you've got a noon on your house, it meant you're a follower of the Nasiriya. The follower of the Nazarene. And here's my question for you today. One of my questions. One of the questions is, are you marked by the Nazarene? Would your house be marked if the bad guys came by and had to spray paint houses in your neighborhood? Would your house be clearly marked as a follower of the Nazarene? I hope so. Is your, is your heart marked with the, with the mark of the Nazarene? Have you had a personal relationship with Jesus? A time when you realized you were broken and sinful and separated from God. You needed Jesus to forgive your sins. And so you said, Jesus, I can't handle this junk in my life. I need you to pick up my junk and please clean me out. And it's not just the Muslims who are sinful and separated from you, but I myself am sinful and separated from you. I need you to forgive me, live in my life, clean me up and make me your child because I can't do it on my own. Have you had that time in your life? Maybe your house is not marked. Maybe your heart needs to be marked with the mark of the Nazarene. Amen? If you have any questions about this after the service, come up to us. Come to Pastor Mark or anybody else in staff here, and we can answer the questions about what that means to begin a relationship with Christ and have your heart marked with the Nazarene. All right, so um, we'll look next at kind of a revisiting the status. What's, what's happening here? And... If ProPresenter would slide things in, you'll see that instability abounds in the world today. There's lots of instability because of ISIS and because of Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Lots of things that are happening in the world are causing instability. Oh, there we go. Next slide, please. As a result, there are millions of refugees who are flooding Europe, flooding into the U.S. at some point. And Chattanooga usually gets about 100 a year, maybe 200, something like that. And what are we going to do about it? They've received many last year from, from uh, Sudan, from Iraq, from Kurdistan, from Cuba. Different pl- people are coming to our city. You don't even have to go to New York or Atlanta or someplace like that. People are coming to Chattanooga. Next slide. When people leave... Like we said, the blanket comes off and they're then exposed to new ideas. They're on the road and on the road, 
the voice of Jesus can talk to them and say, hey, you know what you've heard about the prophets? You've heard about these things. Don't you understand that there's more to it than that? There's actually the Christ had to die, had to be raised again, because this is what the Old Testament said, and this is the will of God. And so new ideas can come in. When new ideas come in, you are the people that they'll come through. All right, next slide. As a result, they see what's happening in the world where they are, and they become disillusioned with the belief system. One quick story. There was a relief worker in um, northern Syria who was in a, a camp with women and children passing out food packets. They ran out of food packets just as the last lady was there with her kids. And the relief worker, who was a Christian, said, I'm sorry, ma'am, we're out of food. She said, what will I do? How can I feed my children? He said, I'm sorry. All I can do now is pray to Jesus. So he said, can I pray to Jesus for you? She said, yes. So he prayed right there. As soon as he said, amen, the phone rang. He picked it up and they said, hey, we have one packet left. You want it? He said, just a minute. Absolutely. He said, we found your food. And she said, your Jesus answered the prayer. Your Jesus heard the prayer. So they ran over, got the food, and she had food for the next month, I believe. Her husband came home soon after that. Her husband had been out fighting for ISIS. And so the relief worker got a phone call one day. He said, we need to meet, sir. Okay. The relief worker went and met this family. And the man from ISIS began to cry. He said, I have been out killing in the name of Islam and you are here providing for my family. Your God, whose name is Jesus, gave food to my family and I did nothing. So now the husband, the wife, perhaps the kids too, I'm not sure how old they are, are now following Christ. Amen. When we enter into the pain, enter into the need, the access point is there. We do it in the name of Jesus. We pray to Jesus to answer prayers and he comes through because that's what he does. He wants people to be saved. He says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And next slide. Finally, another part of the uh, instability is looking at the relationships. And again, I kind of mentioned this with my dissertation is how our relationships, when you invite people to your home, if, if your wife does all the serving and you sit there like a big honcho, that's not showing anything to the Muslim family. But if you and your wife serve together, speak kindly to her, she speaks kindly to you, demonstrate that you love each other as Christ loves the church, this is a beautiful relationship that will transform and challenge the Muslim mind. And they will say, what in the world is this? Our family does not look like that. It's an opportunity. Every need is an access point. So in spite of all these things, in the face of all these things, Jesus says we need laborers to go into the harvest. So Jesus calls out laborers to go and address the disillusionment, to address the relationships. He, go, he calls them to address the needy, the refugees, those who are on the run for their lives, those who need protection, those who need food. He says, get involved. Matthew 9 says, Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, right? And then what happens in Matthew chapter 10? They go. <laughs> if you go back and look at it, Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38 or so, Jesus tells them, pray for the Lord to send out harvesters. And so I'm, I'm assuming the 
Disciples then pray, Lord, please send out harvesters. The next chapter, he says, and here's how you do it. <laughs> don't take an extra pair of shoes and don't take too much stuff and find the person you stay with and eat what's put before you. And so suddenly they're praying for workers and suddenly they're the workers. And this is what I'm telling you. Pray for workers and then be the workers. The opportunities will come. Prepare yourself. All right. We'll finish up here just in a couple minutes. Um, here's some action steps. What can you do? Number one, set your watch for 1040 a.m. in the morning and let it go off and then pray for the Muslim world or pray for unreached people groups. Very simple thing. If your watch has a little beeper, otherwise your cell phone probably does. Number two, pray for two people. Pray for two names. Pray for Muhammad and pray for Fatima. If you pray for Muhammad and Fatima, you'll pray for half the Muslim world all at one time. Seriously, 500 million people are named either Muhammad or Fatima or some variation of that. Mahmoud, Ahmed. Pray for those two names and you'll pray for 500 million people at the same time. All right? Very simple. Third thing, do not give in to fear. Memorize the verses that we looked at. 1 John 4, 4, 1 John 4, 18, 2 Timothy 1, 7. Memorize the verses and let those become foundational so that you yourself don't give in to fear. Fourth, learn how to share the gospel with Muslims. Like I said, sign up to the email list out there. We'll send you the ebook. You can go online and find lots of things as well, how to share the gospel with Muslims. Like I said, there are five main questions they have. If you answer those five questions, that's about 95% of what the objections that they have. So it's not hard to talk with a Muslim about Jesus. And in fact, if you don't talk with them about Jesus in the first 10 minutes, they'll think you're a typical Westerner. So show every Muslim you meet that you're a person of faith, that you love Jesus, that you go to church, that you read your Bible, that you have a relationship with the living God. Tell stories to them. They love stories. We all love stories. So share the gospel with Muslims and learn how to do that. Now, practically, we're going to take a few minutes I would say about three minutes, and we're going to pray for four people. First, we're going to pray for is the leader of Boko Haram. I'm going to give you about 15 seconds, and you can pray for him when the face comes up there. His name is Abu Bakr Shikau. They do lots of bad things in Nigeria. So I want you to take 15 seconds right now and pray for him. Ready, set, go. Jesus, we pray for the salvation of Abu Bakr Shakao and his entire family. May he see Jesus very soon. All right, next slide. Next person to pray for, the leader of ISIS, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Let's pray for 15 seconds for him, for his salvation, and for anything you want to. Ready, set, go. Jesus, we pray for the salvation of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi and his entire family. May he stop his evil deeds and may he come face to face with Jesus very soon. Next, let's pray for this Muslim cleric from England. His name is Amjan Chowdhury. He has publicly called for the implementation of Sharia law and he's on all kinds of news stations, radical speaker. So pray for his salvation and his entire family. Ready, set, go. 15 seconds.
Jesus, we pray for the salvation of Amjan Chaudhry and his family. May he come to know you personally. In Jesus' name. Finally, did you know that the new mayor of London is a Muslim? Just voted on, took office on May the 9th. So brand new. His name is Sadiq Khan. So let's pray right now for the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. 15 seconds. Ready, set, go. Jesus, we pray for the city of London and the mayor, Sadiq Khan. Pray for his salvation and that of his family. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Pray for the leaders of the world who need to know Jesus like that. Okay. Um, practical steps as a church. We're going to look at these briefly and we'll be out of here in about three minutes. What can you do as a church? Number one, continue to support groups like 1040 Connections. The work that you're doing through us in a certain South Asian nation has purchased two motorcycles instead of one. Your Christmas giving last year collected enough for one motorcycle, but we decided to get two motorcycles, which then lets the female church planter and the other male church planter have access to double the villages. I hope you don't mind. We doubled the motorcycles. Um, and the, the mobile training seminary is taking place and moving along nicely. Next, um, volunteer to work with refugees here in Chattanooga. If you want to work with a group called Nations, or if we partner with them, we're friends with them, they're having a training on June the 26th from 2 to 4 p.m. If you're interested, contact us, and we can let you know more about that. You, you can work with the refugees who come here, play soccer on a Sunday afternoon, collect coats and alarm clocks and things that they need, give them rides to the airport or the doctor's office or to different places. So there are a lot of needs here in Chattanooga with the existing refugee population. And churches should be known as the ones at the forefront of meeting those people when they arrive here and helping them get settled in as they're out of the blanket and have a chance to walk along the road with you. Next, practice hospitality. Invite people to your home, have a meal, have a good conversation. Very simple. You do it with your friends. Do it with people who are not from our culture, from other places, particularly the Muslim people. They might have never eaten in another home. Tell them you're not going to have hot dogs and pork and beans. But have, have a good meal that they will like. And clarify what they like to eat. and Invite them over and have a good family meal together. Okay? Hospitality. That's what Jesus did. Next, number four, pray for the Muslim world. And then tell them how you pray for them. When you're having a conversation over a meal, when you're at the gym, when you're at work, if you're working with a Muslim, tell them that you pray and that you're interceding for them and you can pray for their prayer requests too. And five, demonstrate kingdom relationships in the church. Does the church look like the mosque? I don't think so. But do we practice a lesser form of patriarchy or can we demonstrate in our homes, in our churches, in our relationships that we have a different foundation because the character of our God is very different than the character of of the God they worship. So today, I hope you feel more equipped to know how to work with Muslims, how to love them more, how to push down the stronghold of fear and build yourself up with the truth of God's word. If any of you have a burning in your heart that you want to work with Muslim people, please contact us afterwards. If you want to give generously to start a new work among Muslims, a lady died on Sugna Mountain last year and donated $10,000 to 1040 Connections, and we were able to start a new work in a new place last year. Not that you have to die, but you can write us into your will. That's a great thing. It's very possible. Um, or if you need to know how to have the noon marked on your heart, please talk to us afterwards. Um, what I want you to realize is our God is great. Amen? 
Repeat after me. How great is our God? One more time. How great is our God? Last time. How great is our God? Amen.